1: You are listening to an entertainment program put
0: together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The China Shop. I am your host, Kyle, and joining me for today's news update, or weekend review, or whatever we're calling this thing now is. Eric from ES Invests. But before we dive into talking about uh, the news and trading and all that other jazz, I'd like to take a quick moment say thank you to our sponsors and friends over at Manscaped, Trade Pro Academy, and OrderFlow Labs. Manscaped is the best of men's blow-the-waist grooming with precision-engineered tools for your family, jewels, and with Manscaped getting into the world of beard care, now is the perfect time to take advantage of our exclusive offer of 20% off and free worldwide shipping using promo code 2BOWLS at Manscaped.com. As always, that is the number two. When it comes to institutional quality trading education, look no further than tradeproacademy.com. In our free Discord server, you'll find instructions to take advantage of our discount with them as well. For all you degenerates who enjoy trading futures, you'll definitely want to look into the custom tools and studies over at orderflowlabs.com. Of course, if you're not following Eric at ESInvests on Twitter or checking out his YouTube or OnlyFans, uh, you definitely need to do that because that's some of the best market-related content out there. And then, lastly, uh, be sure to reach out with your suggestions, corrections, questions for future guests. You can do that via email at twobulls at financialineptitude.com dot com, or join that aforementioned free Discord server, where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. Be sure to put all those links in the episode description. Ah, okay. Now that we got all the self promotion bullshit out of the way, uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about talk about your week. You just got back from
1: Florida, right? Uh, yeah, I got back the end of last week. Why would you want to go to Florida? Well, I heard that when it's cold, that the iguanas freeze up and they fall out of the trees, so it sounds like a spectacle, oh, so I wanted to go see that. Fuck, I want to see that. Yeah, I didn't see it though, so newsflash, it's a giant waste of time.
0: Oh, is it? Is it a true thing, or is it one of those things that people say happens, but no one's ever seen it?
1: Apparently it's fucking true, but apparently also only happens when I'm not there because as soon as I left, the people I was hanging out with, they were like, bro, we're seeing them now. So
0: More than likely, there's going to be a link in the uh, episode description for a video of that happening. <laughs>
1: yeah, pretty, pretty grumpy that I didn't get a chance to see it in person because I was thinking it would be kind of cool to try to catch one as it's falling out like a pinata.
0: Did you meet any uh, Florida men while you're out there?
1: Um, no such luck. Nah, dang it. I was I was trying to find a place to go wrestle a gator because my uh, my, because my college roommate, that's one of his dreams was to wrestle a gator. And in my everlasting competitive fashion, he hasn't wrestled a gator yet. So if I could wrestle a gator before him and do his dream before he gets to do his dream, it would leave me just unlimitedly satisfied with myself.
0: There is not much more satisfying than doing somebody else's lifelong aspiration before they do.
1: Bingo, especially because it's not mine. That's right, the exactly. Best part. Then you'd be like, ah, eh, didn't enjoy yeah. it. <laughs> but just about a talent. <laughs> it, it was whatever, dude. Yeah. Like, not a big yeah. not, not deal. Yeah. Kind of stupid. Gators
0: are pretty weak. All you do is hold their mouth yeah. shut. They can't do anything.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. They, apparently, their opening force is pretty lame. So.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, should we uh, should we talk about some of the headlines here? I can uh, go through. And... Why
1: does North Korea have glass bottom boats? Oh, I feel like I should know this joke. So they can see their air force. Yeah. Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, I thought balloons floated. <laughs> yeah. Well, no shortage of those, apparently. Shit. Uh, yeah, and not balloon-related rated news. Uh, let's see. On the headlines I got lined up here, I've got Buffett uh, trimming his stake of uh, Taiwan semiconductor materials, got the U.S. retail sales, and there was a special meeting called by AMC. Um, it looks like they're finally trying to convert those ape shares into AMC shares, and they're also trying to engineer a one-for-ten reverse split. Uh, which of those three tickles your fancy?
1: Um, the TSMC I find a little curious. I I, do too. I I don't know the detail behind the position. Do you my estimation would be that it wasn't Warren Buffett himself that even established that position, but one of the people that helps him manage the fund. But I'm curious if you know more details behind it.
0: I have no details. I didn't even realize he'd taken such a big stake. Uh, I just saw the fact that he'd sold it within less than a quarter. My guess was that he'd already hit his profit target.
1: Yeah, I mean, it literally, uh, well, not literally, very close doubled in price over the last six months. Right. So I could see that. It's it's interesting, though, because he generally is pretty um, not into tech. Even tech that he mm-hmm. understands, you know, his line is, if you don't understand it or whatever, and that he has a hard time understanding technology, but I think he clearly undersells himself because he's had plenty of conversations with Bill Gates and whatnot. So the right. dude knows how it works. But yeah, it's it was interesting to see that, that position. But I also know that he's grooming, I forgot her name, essentially to start taking the reins from him. So part of my curiosity is if that was a position that um, the other people that are helping run the fund are, are taking. But I,
0: yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, Like like I said, my guess was that, um, I mean, it could be rebalancing too. I mean, if something goes up that much, then yeah, why wouldn't you, you know, I mean, it's up 40% from the October low, which he grabbed it in November. So that was while it was, that probably is what led to that big spike in November. Sure. If I had to guess, (laughs) because when Warren Buffett does something, a lot of people do it too.
1: Yep. Yeah. But overall I think that's interesting, but yeah, I other than that, I mean, it t- to me it's just, you know, fund rebalancing, but obviously because his name's involved with something that's in mm-hmm. the tech sector is what I found curious.
0: Well, it's a good, it's a good one to go into with, as far as tech goes. I mean, with the US trying to lay down, you know, infrastructure to encourage more chip production at home, and then after seeing like what happened with the the shortage that we had during the COVID slowdown or lockdowns, like it seems like a good bet. Like if you're going to bet on any tech, semiconductors seems like a good one.
1: Yeah, but it also seems curious because, you know, most of their positions they hold for longer periods of time. And because of all the U.S. investment within the U.S. on semiconductors, that Mm -hmm. would actually be kind of a big problem Mm -hmm. for Taiwan semiconductor. Not that we're going to, you know, steal the food from their mouth anytime soon, but just for his typical durations, I do find that interesting because he talks about things like moats Right, barriers to entry or dominance mm-hmm. within an industry, and other than the fact that you know, essentially they've been doing it for a while. I, I'm not exactly positive that if the U.S. started incentivizing enough domestic production of this stuff, that they would be able to maintain such an advantage.
0: Uh, maybe he's trying to convince them to move to the U.S. and leave Taiwan.
1: Yeah, pretty interesting.
0: It's like, hey, China's further away.
1: <laughs> what did you make of uh, retail sales?
0: I didn't really pay attention to it, if I'm being honest. I saw that it was a surprise beat, and I was kind of—I was surprised by that. But um, I'm actually just reading it now for the first time.
1: <laughs> Got it. Yeah the the retail sales I found interesting, and I'm actually going to drop a different link in there that's from the from the census. I just think it's
0: kind the of real. A, the real one.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of a more direct source. I think oh, much better. This is super interesting. And it's because what we saw with CPI coming in a little high, which that was interesting. Yeah. And the market's reaction to that being pretty tame, realistically speaking.
0: Well, I mean, a lot of people were expecting it to come in higher, I thought, too, though. Um, Like most of the economists I saw commenting on what to expect were predicting a higher than uh, consensus.
1: I agree with that. And regardless, I still, I'm not sure if that sentiment was priced in. It's obviously really difficult for me to be able to um, break that out.
0: But obviously it wasn't because you could see that the chances of a uh, exactly. the hike, like the percentage chances of that definitely increased after the CPI. Exactly.
1: And yeah, I- exactly. So I I do think in general, it's, it's an interesting note just because obviously we're not at a point where Everything is completely under control, but I also think that the market isn't super concerned about it just yet. I think mostly what we're seeing is just a shift in market focus, Mm -hmm. but I think seeing retail sales come in really bolsters a lot of that. And overall, I think the other thing that is important to keep a pretty close eye on is consumer debt. Which is going up oh. actually what I would consider to be at a fairly alarming um, rate, doubled, so that part, yeah, that part I find really, really curious. I don't think that that bodes super well, but I also think it's a little too early to make any you know significant you know takeaways from it, but I do think we're seeing exactly the style of turmoil that. We're still expecting to see, like, you know, these different economic indicators are not lining up super perfectly, which, again, I, I don't think right. they should. And I think that the market is still reacting pretty uh, fairly to it all, which that really surprises me more than anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, the fact that we haven't just completely tanked yet on, on that CPI and then this one.
1: I genuinely was yeah, surprised about too. that. Like, I, I I didn't expect us to, like, fall out of bed. But I genuinely did expect to see a little bit more of a reaction.
0: Yeah, I mean, I watched that rebid off of the 08 on the day CPI came out and I was like, God damn, that was strong.
1: Yeah, I, I think CPI coming in where it is now is okay still. But I think we're seeing a couple things. We're seeing obviously the effects of using it's like the tail wagging the dog. Inflation is like one of the most lagging indicators for the economy. Right. So I think we, we are just seeing a general shift to more proactive estimations, especially for the market, because it's a discounting mechanism that tends to look out six to nine months. So uh, to me, it looks like we're pri- prioritizing earnings releases, forward projections and guidance, things like that. Yep,
0: I would agree with that.
1: Um, let's see, the AMC interest you at all? <laughs> I, it doesn't interest me, but I do think it's a curious story. So I think we could touch on it real quick if you wanted. What are you taking away?
0: There's something that Adam Aaron's been trying to do um, basically since the first time the price shot up on them was to try to issue more shares in order to raise capital to try to you know fix some of the debt structure that the companies had. Uh, they were able to get that special dividend to, to create that eight class and they've been sh- uh, selling that to, to, to kind of be like a workaround because the shareholders kept voting against it. Uh, my guess is that this is just him finally getting getting his way
1: <laughs> so what's i didn't i didn't see the timeline on it what what does it look like for the conversion of ape shares
0: um so it's supposed to be a one for one i thought but in one of the lines it says here that each one is worth one one hundredth of a shares uh, let's see here it says that each ape is a depository share represents an interest in one one hundredth of a share of series a convertible participating preferred stock each ape is designed to have the same economic and voting rights as a share of common stock, as described in the governing instruments. Got it. So when I read that, then that that tells me that ape should be worth like one ape is, or one hundred apes are worth one AMC. Is that? Am I taking that away right?
1: Yeah. Yep. I, at least based on what you were saying, I think that's that's accurate.
0: But then the pricing should be one one hundredth of a share, then. But it's more like half. I think Apes are trading around $2 and
1: AMC is around five seventeen. Yeah, so it could have just been the the ratio that they issued them at, though. Ah, uh, okay, okay. So I, I but yeah, I, I don't really, it's funny enough, I actually have shares of, I think I've told you this, I have shares of AMC and Ape, mm. um, but it's literally just to support those people. Otherwise, I, I, I think it's a, yeah, I think it's an awful investment. But <laughs>
0: at this point, yeah. It's not, yeah, just, um, just if you're holding it for uh, the moonshot, like, mm, yeah, you might want to rethink that.
1: Daily dollar short. And I, yeah, I think the main thing I, I enjoy about it is just seeing at least the continued pressure mm-hmm. that it's tends to put on just larger institutions because fuck those guys. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yep. Summary of my, my feeling. <laughs>
0: uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's move on, and uh, I want to revisit the Meta Trade that we discussed the last time uh, you were here. That was two weeks ago, actually. Got it. And I was actually lining this up to take the trade, like with the parameters that we had discussed. I think it was to sell a one ninety five call and uh, then buy like a two twenty out the money one to like cap the risk. Yeah. So I started lining that up and then I was trying to figure out how you manage risk. And I realized I didn't understand your mechanism. So I actually disqualified the trade for myself.
1: It's inherently managed. It is.
0: But what's, your, what's the win rate on these types of trades then? Because you're looking at a, like, I think the, the payout potential was between like three and $5, depending on what time of day you're looking for the one that you sold.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But then your upside risk is like 2,500, like 195 to 220, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and typical payout protocols for something like this, especially as it pertains to expected return, really depends on a couple things. And the fact that it's like post a binary event actually makes it a fairly effective trading tool. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would track the overall bucketing of expected returns, not based on it being a post earnings short short call really is what it is attempting to be. It's just, right. we're just winging the the upside in case we, we had a blowout for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But if somebody was uncomfortable with that payout mechanism, because that's why that wing is so far, is I'm attempting right. to just treat it as a short call post earnings. And the way that I tend to treat those is, I'm literally just using size as my primary risk control metric like if it starts if it started rallying to 200 210 i wouldn't touch it i essentially would just take it to expiration and it would be whatever it would be Hmm. because i've seen enough of those especially if we price volatility effectively which we would have in that scenario Mm -hmm. um post earnings then it all essentially will come out in the wash. But the short answer to your question is on that specific trade, you will tend to have a much higher win rate, but as you're highlighting uh, a fair loss severity. Mm -hmm. So one thing you can do if you don't like my approach, and I definitely have a more cavalier approach just based on the way that I trade my account now, so if I were trading my account back when, you know, is a 200000 dollars account or like I'm being way more aggressive mm-hmm. in that instance, I wouldn't probably take it to expiration. I probably would do something like a four or five hundred times credit received spot where I want to cap the loss, even though I already have it a wing on it. Mm-hmm. That is only if it's before earnings. Oh, if okay. it's after earnings, I would just use the correct wing size. If I was uncomfortable with the risk, oh, because so you
0: can, you can, instead of just going one for one, you can, uh, um, what is it? Uh, weight them differently, like take more of you the, you can out- do
1: that. But, but specifically I'm thinking just in terms of the, the width of the wings, you mm-hmm. can modify, you can modify the ratio like you're talking about there to get the correct risk profile. But, um, it's it's specifically structured as a fairly high probability directional play. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
0: All right. Well, thanks for clearing that up a little bit. I, I was just wondering if you had like stops in place or if you have manual points where you would cut it, like, okay, this is nope. not moving after you know, a certain amount of time or if it moves too far against you, do you then look to get out or anything like that?
1: I, I think if I was like truly trying to optimize, there are definitely things that you could look at to, to do exactly mm-hmm. that, but I've done enough of these at this point that the optimization t- to me just, it, it isn't worth it. And Nothing. yeah, the, the overall risk is going to be controlled first via size and second via that far out of the money wing. And if we felt like, oh, I, I don't like the idea of making whatever it is for 500 bucks or wh- whatever the fuck and, and risking 2,500 for it, you could take that wing in, right? So instead of the 220, Mm -hmm. we could buy the 210 or whatever the case is. But one of the most important things of those kind of trades is to let them work. And that's the biggest problem Mm -hmm. with people that try to trade short premium strategies is they want to interfere as soon as things start not looking right. But the problem is that completely skews the probabilities you're, you're gonna start realizing additional losses, especially if you're not pricing volatility well. So yeah. For something like that, especially after the release, I would try to interact with it as little as possible. But if I put a wing on it before the release and, you know, we had like the move we did, let's say I instead of um, the entry that we talked about, let's say it was before earnings. Right. And for whatever reason, I wanted to fade meta. I don't feel that way. I wouldn't have felt that way. But if I did and we set up a wing like that essentially i would probably close it right after the release depending on how the option was priced because the move was completely wrong Mm -hmm. and if there's a way for me to salvage any value out of the trade i would do that because otherwise you're just going to take it to expiration for a full loss
0: right right that makes sense yeah uh yep so good thing i didn't do it then because i did not understand the mechanisms behind it and trading that uh, just probably would have been a recipe for disaster
1: yeah, yeah, and, and it's a good question, especially because a lot of people, I think, try to overcomplicate verticals mm-hmm. in general. And I, to, to me, I do videos on it pretty regularly because I don't, I don't think people understand how much they're fighting against themselves when they do that. Because in an instance with Meta post earnings, I wanted to fade to the downside. And the only reason why I chose a selling strategy there is because if we entered it shortly after the market opened, there would still be quite a bit of volatility Mm -hmm. that needed to creep out of those options before the end of the day.
0: Especially with that size of a move.
1: Exactly. So there's going to be some volatility that we can harvest, but otherwise, I mean, a simpler strategy in those kind of instances is just buying a put or, you know, whatever the case is. Um, which also inherently controls the risk. But the problem with those short premium strategies, as soon as people start up trying to spread off using wings, right? So now we have mm-hmm. a vertical. We're already counteracting some of the hypothesis of the trade. If we think implied volatility is overpriced, but then we're buying a wing, which inherently then would also be overpriced more likely than not. Right. You're decreasing our edge. Yep. And then another part of this trade that's super important is to allow the passage of time, but now we put in a stop. So if that stop is hit, we're disallowing the passage of time. So we've now decreased our edge even more. So I think it's important to really identify the hypothesis for the trade. And in this case, again, it would be I would essentially choose the the short leg. To be super far out of the money and want to fade it to the downside for the volatility and the price movement. But if you were more directional, you could also include whatever your technical analysis would say. So let's say it was trading around 190 or 187, whenever, you know, um, well, it would have been even lower, like 183 when it opened that day. And you put on this short trade and you say, okay, um, based on my Fibonacci's or whatever it is that you choose to use in your technical analysis, and you see, okay, the, you know, last. Previous resistance that looks strong is around 201. And I'm actually looking at it right now from back of summer of last year. So maybe we're using that volume node as your resistance. Okay. So if it starts breaking through that with a sustained move, maybe that's where you choose to exit early, right? Because that's just saying my hypothesis was wrong. If it's purely a directional play, but because there's a volatility component, you got to let it go.
0: S-P-U-L-L-E-N at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. I've been having, uh, uh, I think one of the things that's helped me is actually writing down the, the, my hypothesis is wrong when, and having an actual like written out thing that tells me that, okay, this is when I know I'm wrong. So that way I'm not always clinging to the same bias.
1: Yeah. Super smart. Yeah. Typically, if it's a pure directional play, what I'm going to do is have whatever the the spot that I'm wrong, it's going to be uh, an alert on the chart. Gotcha. So yeah. I will immediately bake it into the chart. And as soon as it hits that, it means I'm wrong. I actually have that right now hmm. in uh, Kaneko Phillips. I, I just established a position in there. And uh, what what do I have? I think I have part of a coverage strangle. Yeah. So... Hmm. I bought some shares at 111.12, and I sold some short calls at a ratio against those shares. But the main thing is, um, you know, my basis is 111.12. So what I'm doing right now is I'm looking at the most recent volume node on a one year, which is like 99.68, somewhere in there. And then there's kind of a point of control that's centered right around 97, and then there's a little more volume at 94. Long story short, I'm using that as that entire zone essentially as my floor. Gotcha. So the position, as I structured it, it's a bullish trade. Even though I have short calls against it, I want it to go up. And if it falls below the 200-day moving average, which is what it's tinkering with right now, then that's kind of like the the first warning red sign. flag. Yeah. And I exactly, I have an alert for that. And then if I see it start to move down to that first level of support kind of again determined around that 9980 handle somewhere right in there that's the second and if i see it fall below and outside of the lower point of control or the lower value area which you can kind of define it like 94 would be the outside of it then i'm just completely wrong mm-hmm. in terms of my timing and i'm out yeah and at that point you know i'm i'm taking a 15 point haircut something like that so I tend to be a little more cavalier in those kind of trades, anyways, because I like to give it a little more room. I don't like to hover over it. I'm not like the US investing championship. I talk to those guys a lot. That's why I refer to them a lot. <laughs> um, but their their timing is very different. They want to leave very little room to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And they're okay taking, you know, 30 positions to get four that are timed perfectly. Yep. Whereas I have a little more luxury because a lot of what I do is trade derivatives as well. So I don't have to be that precise and I'm using really options and volatility to bolster the position to still give me some room for error. But it's just a slightly different example of using predefined zones as exit points based on an underlying overall assumption.
0: All right, uh, with uh, about three minutes left, then I'd like to cover a trade I did make this week or last week and get your opinion on how you would have structured it because I'm pretty sure you don't like buying uh, <laughs> naked calls as a lotto run <laughs> for earnings.
1: <laughs> is lotto? No, but I do I do think buying calls is, is okay. Uh, context dependent, not my typical. So yeah, curious to see what you did.
0: Okay, so Palantir, I was looking at... Um, Uh, some of the other stocks that had my watch list, things like Sonos and other, uh, companies that when I was first starting out, I had noticed that they all kind of tended to run together. So I was seeing a lot of the stocks in my watch list, putting out some really good earnings. Okay. Uh, I looked at the chart on Palantir and I was noticing the green volume higher than the red volume, a really interesting day on the 24th. Uh, and then, uh, Uh, January. Yeah. 24th of January. Okay. Really big green candle that. Yeah, uh, looks like sellers did come in and try to race it. Broke above that 200-day moving average, came back, but on into the the band there. Uh, I think it was actually above the 200-day moving average when I purchased my calls because it was on. I want to say it was Wednesday or Thursday, and I think that About was the 200 part of my yeah of the 200-day moving average. It was above it. Oh, interesting the day I bought them. Mine,
1: mine shows oh Wednesday. What, I use the a simple of... moving
0: average, not the uh, EMA.
1: Oh, you basic, huh?
0: I'm very basic.
1: I like basic. So what, what day did you buy?
0: I think it was two days before. So I think it was the, let's see. The I think it was Thursday, actually. I think it was Thursday. What was the date? The 9th. Got it. Okay. It might have been a couple days before that. But either way, my assumption was that volatility would increase as we got closer to the uncertainty of the earnings, and that was absolutely not the case. <laughs> so
1: yeah, you were too late. Uh,
0: yeah. So uh, yeah, that so was mistake number one. So I bought them at thirty cents. Just,
1: just a quick note on that. Yeah, so typically, uh, two weeks out is when you would need two to to out. be in. Ah. Yeah. Okay. So okay. Yeah. So you were just too late on that part of the assumption. But uh, continue. Yeah.
0: Uh, So yeah, I bought them at 30 cents on whichever day that was, a few days before the actual earnings. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it still worked out in my favor. Uh, I picked my target based on the gap that uh, was left behind in August of 22. So I was shooting for $10 calls. um, And then I sized it as basically an all or nothing play, right? Uh, The max risk that I was willing to take on the trade, that was the number of contracts that I purchased. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, And then today, I trimmed half of them out at uh, two to one risk reward. And then I've got the other half that almost filled at my 4x return, uh, but just missed it.
1: Do you have a a trailing stop in there?
0: Uh, No, no, I'll just close them out on uh, Monday or tomorrow morning if they hit break even. I'm at a computer all day so I can watch them. Got it. Yeah. Again, I bought March expiration too because I wanted to have plenty of time to let that work. Uh, the same thing that you talked about, like, I don't like the zero days to expiration or the weeklies just for that reason. They tend to, to uh, like sometimes you'll get a move. It's the move that you want, but it doesn't happen fast enough for you. Like if you, the more time I can get on it for a decent price, then the happier I am.
1: Yeah. The only problem is with you going, I assume those were out of the money. Yeah. What, yes. Do you were. know the Delta?
0: Um, at the time
1: I do not remember. Okay, because the the only downside to that is if you're y- this was an earnings play for you, yeah, yes. The problem with going out to March is, especially with out of the money options, you're gonna you're gonna get gypped on the move. Mm. And what I mean by that is because it's out in March, you're gonna have slightly lower gamma, especially because they're far out of the money and still further out in time. So you didn't get the kick, even though you were like completely directionally correct post earnings in your assumption Mm. so that's just part of this perpetual dance that we dance is if if it wasn't tied to earnings then i think your hypothesis in terms of uh expiration selection was probably uh fine Mm -hmm. but because it was tied to earnings i think you nerfed yourself a little bit unnecessarily okay because you're going to experience less of the move that far out. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it
0: smooths it out a bit. The same same thing that you know saves me time decay is also hurting me on the
1: the short term volatility. Is that am I understanding that right? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That that's fair. And because the other thing, like, here's another structure that could have fit your assumption is instead of you could have stayed in March if you were so inclined, but mm-hmm. instead of going far out of the money, if you went far in the money then mm. you're going to experience more of a one-for-one one move because your delta is going to be higher. Right, right. You're going you're to pay more, so you're going to get less of that compound return effect, meaning you know, 500% returns. Mm-hmm. But you're also negating a lot of theta in that circumstance because you're right. so far in the money. Yeah, I think the
0: problem then is I wouldn't have been able to afford enough to be able to actually trim, to, And I don't like having just one or two contracts.
1: Got it. Yeah. So then in that instance, I, I think you kind of, you know, selected, uh, it was a reasonable rationale. I think the, the timing on the, the entry, if it was to benefit from an expansion in volatility, you were a little too late for that.
0: Or too early. And I, Nathan, think, I mean, I could have bought them the day before at half the yeah, price.
1: Yeah, Yep. Yeah, exactly. I, I think, yeah, that's the correct framing. I, I meant you got into the position too late. but Ah, uh, right. Oh, gotcha, I think, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, if you were trying to capture the expansion and volatility. And then I think the other thing is, if it is an earnings play, I would try to keep it closer to the earnings release itself, even yeah. though you do increase, you know, like you are talking about that exposure. Mm-hmm. But maybe like uh, like a week or two post earnings, no more than two weeks post earnings, especially if it's a long, long play for me.
0: I like it. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's a fun trade. It's actually really interesting. Their earnings too. It was the first time Palantir is uh, profitable, and they actually issued guidance expecting to be profitable for the year for the first time ever in their history.
1: That's interesting because it looks yeah. like they came in at at a penny back in November as well. Uh, I wonder if that wasn't
0: adjusted then. Maybe. Oh, maybe
1: that's possible. Yeah. No, that that that's interesting. I don't follow them too closely. I know that a lot of people like to trade it, but
0: yeah, uh, I mean the 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 increase their us uh, customer base by 79 percent. i think something ridiculous i mean like there's a lot of things to like about that earnings report and my goal was to close out the other quarter of my position um at my target uh which just like i said i missed it. i think 10 contracts traded at 90 cents and i just missed it by (laughs) a, a tiny bit i should probably should have dropped it down and just got the fill but and then I wanted to keep the other two. Yeah, don't
1: be a dick for a tick. Yeah,
0: exactly. And then I was going to keep the the last uh, quarter for uh, basically just to hold it to expiration and see if it, uh, you know, if that news propels it further.
1: Yeah, yeah. The only thing I would do with the lingering position is just have a stop in place, whether it's a mental stop or not. Yeah, I'd, I'd
0: put the I'd put the stop at break yeah. even, basically on those ones. Because because you said you have the you have the tens. Yeah, ten dollars strike. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so Theta decay on them is going to be a motherfucker for you. Yeah, uh, once it's... Literally where it's the highest. Very soon, yeah.
0: I think 30 days out is when it really starts to fall off a cliff. 60. Oh, 60. Oh, I thought it was 30.
1: 60 60 days out, Theta is going to be pretty aggressive. But if we look at, for example, um, what's the expiration for you? Uh, March 17th. 17th March. So the the at-the-money Theta decay is about a penny. Yep. when they're trading for, uh, one or years, are trading for 80 cents right now, 80 cents and yeah. it's a penny. So it's like huge. Right. Mm-hmm. So if, if we zoom into, um, hmm. if we zoom into two weeks out, something like that, you'll see that it's like two pennies. So it'll accelerate even more still from here, but this is really where it's going to be, um, mm-hmm. pretty damn high. Interesting. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right. Anything else you want to uh, leave us with before we wrap things up here?
1: No, it was cool. I, I enjoyed in integrating a little bit of trading stuff into this stuff. So, I, And I think that, that I'm stoked that that Palantir trade worked out. I,
0: yeah, I was happy about it. Uh, I, but there's always things to learn, right? So I was really excited to, to review that with you and, and hear how I could have improved it. That's the the thing that I yeah. think we sometimes forget to do as traders. It's all about
1: optimization, man. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, folks, that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. I'd like to say thank you to everyone for sticking around to the end and, of course, Eric for joining me. As always, you can check out his YouTube channel at ES Invests, and you can check us out at twobowlsinachinashop.com. Be back in your ears soon with another exciting episode, but until then, violate that five-star rating and take care. Eric? Can I, can I get a bye? Goodbye. I, was, I actually was very loved proud that of that.
1: So that. was so good. <laughs> that was like probably one of your best exits yet. That was very difficult to not cheer on there. I was waiting for
0: it. I thought it was just, uh, I know. I thought it was crickets. I, I,
1: like, oh, shit. No, I, I really wanted to support you there, but I had to stay true to this random exit that I decided that I do here where I just, just say just nothing. Leave nothing. Yeah, yeah.